Hello, hello. We welcome you today to Love is Spoken Queer, Gospel Topics, LGBTQ plus voices. I'm Dustin Larson. And I'm Renee Fernandez. Welcome back. <laughs> hey Renee, how are you? It's been it's been it feels like it's been forever. It's been a month, hasn't it? Tell us about your travels. Fill us in. Fill the listeners in. Okay, so it has been a roller coaster, I think. There's a lot of catching up to do, that's for sure. So I had a chance. I think the last time I spoke, I hadn't left to New York City yet. So I headed off to New York City on my in my car, so road trip. I met up with some friends, and we headed off to Cape Cod for Memorial Day weekend. And then at the end of the weekend, I came back for one day to Jersey, where my friends are, and did some laundry before I headed off to El Salvador to meet up my family with my family. While we were there, it was a ton of fun. We hit up the beach. We spent some time with family. I do have to tell you, though, that while I love my family very, very much, not having any privacy for that long was so daunting. Yes, along with the heat and the humidity, I was just like, oh, I am glad I was given patience because I need it right now. So it did get overwhelming like a day or two where I was just like, oh, I need, I want to be back. But I came back and then I had the pleasure to go on another road trip with friends to Pennsylvania to do the historical places there. Niagara Falls, and also got to go to Palmyra. So we visited a couple of the sites. So like the Sacred Grove, the Joseph Smith home, the Hill Cumorah, the Whitmer home, places like that. It was really, really fun. And so those are my travels. But along those travels, I had been talking to a boy and said, boy, as I've mentioned to Dustin, um, join me on one of those trips. And so we are officially dating. So for those that have been keeping track of my dating life, as I updated on here, which might be TMI. So I apologize for all of you who do not want to know all this. There's a new special boy in my life, and I'm really excited to get to know him and to venture out into seeing the possibilities. The semi downside to it is that he lives in my hometown. So he is exactly 1,972 miles. <laughs> you counted. You knew oh, you counted I, those miles. <laughs> I GPS those miles because I was like, that is how many miles I, it will take me. But I just saw him and I'm going to see him again in Utah. That is a benefit. He is from my hometown. He lives in my hometown. So anytime I go home, I get the pleasure of spending some quality time with my my man. That's a bit of my update. Uh, just after that, it's just been school. Uh, I mean, that's, my classes don't start till July 7th for summer. So I've just been doing research for my professor for work. So that's been my life. Pretty low-key updates, enjoying quality time, getting to know my uh, my man, and I'm back. And it feels so good to be back. Oh. <laughs> back, back, back again. So I've got a follow-up question and a follow-up Ooh, comment okay. too. So El Salvador, are there any restrictions down there? Like, did you have to do any protocols or is it just, is it, are the cases up or how was it being oh. in another country? The cases aren't up and you have to be vaccinated to travel. Um, mm. So you had to, or, or have a negative COVID test. To come back into the States, we had to have both the shots and the COVID test or just the COVID test, right? The COVID test was more the relevant piece. But no, it was pretty good. Similar guidelines to New York City where like inside places you have to wear your mask. Outside, you don't have to. Yeah. And there's no large gatherings or anything. I mean, church meetings are probably the extent of in El Salvador that are like the big meetings anyway. So yeah. So pretty low key similar. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So my comment is don't feel bad about sharing your personal journey on on this podcast with the listeners because I think it's a really great example to show that you can have a healthy 
adult relationship, but also at the same time, explore your spirituality with the church. It's not an either or. And I think we've been blessed with the area that we live in on the East Coast in New York City to know that it's really easy to find harmony between the two, but there's still a lot of people out there that feel like they have to choose. It just helps show that we're just like everyone else. We want to live as our authentic selves, as well as strengthen our spirituality and find closer connections with those around us that share a similar experience. So yeah, so I'm excited to hear of your journey because it's a very candid way of showing just like the the true life of what's happening for one individual. And it can it shows that it can be done and people don't have to follow what you do exactly. But at the same time, they'll have something to sort of reference when they kind of decide how they want to go about their their journey but with the church and, and their authentic self. Oh, thanks, Dustin. I am really happy to share with people. I try to be a very open person, so I'm always willing to share. I just, you know, so it's good to hear. Thank you. Did you do anything special for Pride? I know like the official kind of Pride celebration that's happened in most cities, it happened in New York City on Sunday. You were traveling, but did you do anything Pride related in in your journeys between here and New York and Pennsylvania and El Salvador? Is there anything Pride specific that you were able to do? Yeah. So the only real thing I did that was Pride specific is on Saturday, I did the 40th Pride run. So I ran with a whole bunch of other queer men around Central Park to, uh, you know, as a fundraiser for certain causes that end up benefiting the LGBT community. And then on Sunday, the actual Pride of New York City, I ended up driving from New York City back to Virginia. So it was an eight hour drive. So I was very much focused on that. So didn't do anything really like, except for talk to my man. So that'd be about it. (laughs) Yeah, no, That's LGBTQ pride. I, yeah, it is. It is just living, living is pride for us. But I, again, didn't do much outside one because I had an injury <laughs> playing adult kickball <laughs> on my shin. I think I talked about it like the last time I had this injury, which was uh, in 2019. I slid into home on a, a dirt field that was also tainted with goose droppings. And so I got my, my leg got infected and I ended up getting cellulitis and I call it my Joseph Smith injury because I was dying. (laughs) My leg was so, it was, it hurt, but this go around, thankfully it was just AstroTurf. So I think not only did it scrape it, but it gave me a really bad rug burn and it was pretty, it's like half my shin. And so I basically had to bandage it up just so it wouldn't get infected. I babied it this go around. And I'm happy to say that I finally was able to let it live without a bandage. And it looks like it's smooth sailing from here. It's going to give me a pretty gnarly scar. So a scar on top of a scar, but that's a reason why I didn't venture out into uh, all the pride festivities because one bump and that would just end me. (laughs) So I didn't want to risk bumping into anybody. And then also Sunday, which was usually the March day, they didn't really have like an official March that is hosted by Heritage of Pride, like the one that is official. They did have a Pride March that was hosted by the Reclaim Pride Coalition, which is kind of, they're trying to bring the essence of pride back to its roots. They feel like it's been too overcome with corporations and rainbow washing, which I can agree to a point. So what they did is they went the original route. So they started, I believe, down in the Stonewall area, and then they went back uptown, and I think they ended in Central Park. So I know that was going on. I was looking at other people's Instagram videos, and it looked like there was another sort of march, but I I don't think it's the Heritage of Pride sponsored one because I got a Facebook notification 
that they were doing a Facebook Live where they were doing a digital march. So I know there wasn't any official sort of gathering other than there's these pop-ups all over throughout the city. And then apparently it looked like they blocked off the West Village, which is Stonewall and in Christopher Street and all that, all that area. And it was like a huge like block party. And then it looked like at Washington Square Park, there was another block party. So it was too many people for my comfort looking at all those, looking at all those Instagram stories and pictures that I'm I'm glad I kind of stayed in. And then also I was talking to you about this before we got on the recording that I did what I consider the Sabbath day triple crown. So what I did is I spoke in sacrament meeting and then I turned around and I taught elders quorum. And then I turned around and we hosted our LGBTQ gospel study group. And then by that point, I was spiritually out of, of commission and I was tired and it was hot and muggy in the city. So I just ended my night with a very special performance. Disney Plus's this is me pride celebration spectacular. Which was on YouTube, and we'll post a link in our notes. It was so, so cute. It's like 30 to 45 minutes, and it keeps it moving. Nina West did an amazing job as a host. They had all these different guests come on and sing some of these Disney classics, and it was really fun to watch, and I think it's super cute. It's something that you can watch with your entire family and then go and watch all the movies that they sang these songs from. So that that was enough pride for me, was to see at least two of my identities, my gay man and and then my Diz nerd self come together. It was so good. Again, Nina West is an amazing, amazing host. She looked amazing. She was able to like interact with like Kermit the Frog and all these people. And it wasn't <laughs> cheesy. It was so adorable. So that's what I recommend is for everyone out there to watch this. It's on YouTube. And I found plenty of favor in watching it, which leads me to Renee. What else do I find plenty of flavor not flavor, <laughs> Plen- plenty That's of favor in that we do every episode. What I think you find plenty of favor and flavor with is <laughs> our Dustin. Yes, and this week we will be discussing Doctrine and Covenants chapters 71 through 75 through, you guessed it, the queer perspective of favor. And Renee, since you've been gone so long, I've missed hearing your poetry and your Uh, way with words. So how about you go first, this go around? All right. Well, everybody, I am going to start with this. I'm sadly, I'm sad that you just prefaced it that way, because I'm pretty sure this is going to be probably the worst haikuli I've done in a while. I am out of practice, so I'm going to have to get back into it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like my first one ever. So it says, in favor you rise, to lift and love another, to prosper and grow. Oh, I like that. You you don't give yourself enough credit. Like I like the, it flows. I like I like that a lot. It said it what it needed to say in such a sweet way. Aww, it was go, a good one. You are full of compliments today, and I'm loving it. Thank you. <laughs> I guess because I you're, whatever you're doing, keep going. <laughs> it's because it's I haven't been around people, so they haven't zapped my energy. <laughs> so I, I just have all this love to give. So here is my Haikulelujah about favor. Look no further than within to find reason for God to find favor. Yes. More power in there. It's like, mm. <laughs> so, Renee, as a queer person of faith, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word favor? Okay. So, I was thinking about this. I was actually talking to my person about this one. And 
Whenever I think of favor, I first of all, I think of two things. Like when you do someone a favor, which is the basic, right? Like, you know, you, which favor means that you do something for someone else because they need help or whatever. But then when I was thinking of scripturally, whenever we talk in favor, right? In the favor of God. So meaning that you're in the good grace of God. So you're doing good work and, you know, Heavenly Father looks good for you. So when I think about it in the queer perspective, it was just this idea that we are doing the best that we can and that we understand that we are living a good life almost. To be honest, I had a hard time applying it because whenever I kept thinking about like in favor with God, for some reason, the gospel centric concept was like, is it, are we in favor with God or are we not? Or are we out of favor with God, right? Because of our queerness. But kind of like you expressed when we were having a conversation off channel, it's like this idea that we feel sometimes we have a better relationship with Heavenly Father outside of the church than within the church. And so whenever I think of that, is that it's basically trying to understand what label to put to the relationship I have with my Heavenly Father, whether he's in favor of what decisions I'm making or he's not. And I feel like most of the time Heavenly Father loves us. So he's pretty solid. So those are my thoughts. So very vague, very random, just because they're very surface level. What about you, Justin? I'm really curious where you took this question. A lot of the things that you just brought up kind of echoes what I was thinking as well. I think us as queer people of faith, we spend a majority of our energy trying to find favor with those that we shouldn't be seeking it from. So we're trying to find acceptance and we're trying to find inclusion in places where if we start with our relationship and finding favor with God and favor with ourselves first, then everything else will just fall into place. We we spend a lot of our childhood not realizing exactly why we feel different from other people. So we spend a lot of energy trying to either cover it up or find ways to gain favor with other people. And I think we base a lot of our acceptance of ourselves on how other people accept us. I think once we kind of unlearn that it's not other people's favor that we, we should be trying to gain, it should be first loving ourselves so that way we can love ourselves as much as God loves us and then realizing that that same love that we have for ourselves is how much that God loves us. And I think that's what I think of as a queer person of faith is so much energy is, I don't want to say wasted, but just given towards things that don't benefit us in the long run. And it's really unfortunate because think of what we could be doing with all that extra energy that isn't going towards trying to gain favor with a person or a place or a thing, a noun. <laughs> that won't give it to us. And it'll take us time of figuring out that they won't give it to us. And at that point, we've beaten ourselves down and we've we've lessened our self-worth. And it's really hard to pick ourselves back up and find favor in ourselves that then allows us to find favor with God that we feel we don't deserve. It's, it's kind of funny because I was trying, when I was reading the scriptures, right, I was trying to understand how it applied favor kind of came into play with it too and the context you just put it in kind of like it's making me rethink some of the stuff i read so that's like processing right now yeah and and why i chose favor is a lot of the scriptures in here was god doing damage control because the church fell out of favor with ezra booth and he was basically criticizing the church very openly and very publicly and joseph smith and all the people that are were still highly involved in the church were worried because it was starting to affect their missionary work and it was starting to affect the growth of the church and they were worried that because of this one individual it was going to be cause a ripple effect and god was reminding them that they shouldn't be seeking the favor of man they should be seeking the favor of god and then God would take care of the rest. And I think one of these things that they said in the manual that really made me start thinking about what is my relationship with the church itself as an organization and how do I 
react when people criticize it. There's certain things that I criticize when I'm in the church, but then when I hear other people criticizing, I'm like, not my church. You can't say that about my church. And I trying to figure out why that is. And so thinking about this while reading this part of the manual really had me kind of self-reflecting on why I react that way when I hear criticism of the church. And so it says, we may be concerned when we hear people criticizing or ridiculing the church or its leaders, especially when we're afraid people we know and love will be influenced by that criticism. When something similar happened in Ohio in 1831, it says to see the section heading to Doctrine and Covenant 71, the Lord's message to Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon was one of faith, not fear. And then I think this is a question that I posed to you a little bit early to contemplate, but I'm going to ask it again. And again, I, I changed it a little bit to fit kind of like our dialogue of the queer experience. It says, as you study Doctrine and Covenant 71, what do you find that builds your faith as a queer person of faith in the Lord and his work? And I can answer that question if you need some little time to sit with it. Yeah. Now, why don't you go first? I'm curious. So what I got out of it was actually from one of the scriptures in Doctrine and Covenants 71, and it's verse 9. It says, Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, there is no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And I said, the first step in gaining God's favor is to find favor in myself, which begins by finding harmony between my authentic and my spiritual self. Once that favor is gained, he has promised that no weapon or act to diminish my worth shall prosper. So I think when I get defensive, when people criticize the church, this doctrine that kind of simmers me down based on, on what God told Joseph Smith and the people at the time is, again, we shouldn't be seeking the favor of man around us. Because I feel like if they're criticizing the church, I'm a member of that church. So their view of the worth of the church is low. So I therefore think that my worth in their eyes is low as well. And if that's the case, so be it. I shouldn't be focused on their view of me. I should be focused on my view of myself and what God views me as. And then they won't bother me. And I think that's what he was telling these saints at the time is, Focus on the job at hand, and if you put your whole heart, mind, and soul into it, nothing that they bring to kind of tear you down is going to prosper because I'm going to be right there behind you, and there's no one stronger than God. So I think that's what I kind of get out of it, and that's what impressed me of Christ and God is because they are all about their timing. They can see the whole picture, and they're constantly calming us down. They were constantly calming down the early saints, but they don't get tired of it and they don't get annoyed with it. They understand why we're going through these things and why we're insecure about certain things and why we seek the favor of other people, because it is kind of a biological and physiological reaction as humans. We had to do it back in like the early days to survive. We needed to belong to a group of people in order to protect ourselves, to find food, to build shelter, all that stuff. That want is still in us. It's just we need to rely on it a lot less now that we have all these modern means around us. And we need to start focusing on the spiritual because that's where the real wars are starting to happen now. It makes me think in regards to the context of Ezra Booth, right? He was a member of the church who became disenfranchised with it and decided to turn against the church. And as I was looking at these verses, especially the ones you brought up again in regards to verse nine, there is no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And as a queer member of the church, it's like sometimes I feel like the strongest weapons are coming from within, just like with Ezra Booth, right? 
that's why it almost hurt harder. And I hear the messaging you're sharing because it is very true. It's like the relationship you're trying to build is the one with Heavenly Father, not necessarily with these individuals that are criticizing or calling you out. But at the same time, it becomes disheartening because these are the people who are supposed to be representing what you believe. And at the same time, they're the ones something's causing the most hurt. Their weapons are stronger than if a random person on the street said anything, right? Yeah, because they know they know exactly what to say to get us. They know the terminology. They know the doctrine behind what they're saying. That's why it's like the people that hurt you the most are the people that know you the best sort of thing. And I think that's what Joseph Smith was feeling with Ezra Booth. Like he had seen like the healing miracles and it wasn't good enough for Ezra Booth. And again, we're also looking at it from one perspective. We don't know what Ezra Booth was going through at that time too, because there's this little section within the manual of Come Follow Me where it kind of shows the progression of Ezra Booth. And there was one other individual that was along with him. I believe it was Isaac Morley, where they were kind of comparing and contrasting their relationship with the church. And both of them kind of had their doubts. And Ezra Booth took it to the extreme and really outwardly criticized. And then Isaac Morley basically found his way back to being in favor with the church and having the church be in favor with him. So we also have to kind of have empathy towards Ezra Booth as well, because we're in similar situations where there's a lot of things within the church that we don't agree with that if it gets too intense, we'll leave. And there has been people that have left because it got too intense, which kind of leads me to another question that I kind of sent you a little bit earlier that I kind of made up to go in tandem with the question that they asked in the manual. And it says, or I said, not it said, because I wrote this one, I said, what should you do if you are the one finding the church less and less favorable? Like say, put yourself in Ezra Booth's situation. How would you kind of handle or go about that today? If all of a sudden you're like, you know what, there's some things that don't sit well with me. I need to either do something about it or it's just going to eat me inside. What what do you think people should do when they're in that situation? I don't know. It's one of those, for me, it's one of those really loaded questions, right? What should you do if you are on the one finding the church less and less favorable? The usual answer that everybody always gives you is like, well, then pray harder, read the scriptures more, like seek out you know what I mean? But most of the times I feel like we're already doing that. And we're still finding that we're finding less and less favorable things. For me specifically, what I do is I try to focus instead on the experiences I lived and the things that I want to get out of being a member of the church. And that's what sometimes helps me find that strength. Because sometimes it is kind of hard to stay active in the church, to be honest, when you don't feel that a lot of what you're hearing or listening is applicable. Or if it is applicable, it, it feels like they're not talking about it with you in the context, like you're not included in the conversation almost. So I have the personality type that I put myself in those conversations, right? I make myself a part of that, but that's not for everybody. So I don't know. It's such a unique experience for every single person. I feel like just like that's why I found the scriptures that we've been reading very impactful because the Lord literally was directing himself to individual people. Like when he was directing himself in these verses, he was specifically just talking to Joseph Smith and to Sidney Rigdon about like what they needed to do so because they need to continue to focus on the translation of the Bible, right? So they didn't need any other distractions, even though they were hurting somewhat from this. So I feel like it's it's an idea that it's an individual journey on how you figure it out, which is kind of what the question's implying, right? That it is you, like how you handle that situation. So for me, it would be that. It would be the idea that I put myself into the conversations and then I make sure that I focus on what I want to get out of being a member of our faith and not necessarily what other people think I should be getting out of being a member of our faith. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that because it sounds like what you do whenever criticism of the church comes up or you feel like criticizing the church is you recenter yourself and you bring back to the forefront what about the church you love, and that's the gospel. And you realize that that's what's the perfect portion of the church. And it's not the physical church or it's not the organization because the organization is run by humans and humans are imperfect, but you zero yourself back into what you can rely on and know as perfect, if, if I'm getting that right. Is that kind of what you yeah, do. Yeah. What I think of doing when I first heard this was to kind of take the Lord's challenge. He told Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith, he says in verse seven of chapter 71, it says, wherefore confound your enemies, call upon them to meet you both in public and in private. And inasmuch as ye are faithful, their shame shall be manifest. And I'm not saying to do that exact sort of thing, but I, I'm saying to kind of bring your questions and your quote unquote criticisms to the Lord. Make a list of all these things that you're like, this doesn't sit well with me. How do I go about dealing with this and take it to the Lord? I know you said that one of the answers that most people give is to just pray harder. But I think if you go at it with a focus of this doesn't sit well with me, please inspire me. Please use me as a tool to make me feel better about these things. And I I heard that in a conference talk one time was there was this one individual, can't remember who it is. They were praying for something over and over and over again. And they're like, you know what? I think I'm praying about this wrong. Rather than asking for the specific thing, they then asked, how will you use me to accomplish your will? And then all of a sudden their prayer was answered. So I think if we go about that at the same way, saying this isn't set well with me, these, these actions that are happening within the church, what do you have for me to do to help not only me deal with this better, but hopefully help someone else deal with this better. I think if we kind of take the Lord's challenge to him, not debate him, maybe it could be a debate. I don't know how you you <laughs> organize your prayers, but I think if we go to him with our criticisms, we can kind of at least get our mind in the right place and the right spiritual kind of feeling to start going about dealing with some of the criticisms we may have of the church. And then there's less chance for it to fester in bitterness when we feel like we're having this open dialogue with with Christ and he can kind of guide us towards a way of finding a solution to some of the critiques we may have with current standings within the church. What, what do you mean exactly? Sorry. Like, like saying, like, how am I to deal with what is spoken about in the proclamation of the family? I know this is one that's really tough with you. And right now, it seems like that's so set in stone. And the answer is, well, whatever the proclamation of the family says is Bible truth. I think what you could do is go to God and be like, this isn't sitting well with me. Please help me understand or please help me find a way to find connection to this doctrine or find a way to make me find peace with this. And open it up to Christ or Heavenly Father saying, let me be a tool in your hands on how to go about finding this. And then hopefully something will come into your life that will help you understand it a little bit better. I'm not saying I know what that is, but at least opening that door and opening your heart to finding ways to calm yourself with certain things that bring you sorrow, it's kind of turning them on their head and finding a way to live with it rather than kind of fearing what this pain keeps coming from this this particular doctrine, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I understand that. Okay. Similar to what I was saying. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so the next kind of scripture that jumped out at me wasn't until Doctrine and Covenants 75. Are there any other scriptures that jumped out at you before then? Yeah. 
It's where they talk about the assignment when he calls a bishop to the fold. I just had some thoughts on that section just because it was a conversation I'd had prior with other peers in the church. And it was interesting because in the Come Follow Me manual, it talks about reading the section and how the role of a bishop has changed, right? And so reading the section now isn't 100% applicable to the bishops of today, but that the gist is still the same, right? Bishops are in charge of the welfare of its members and both its spiritual and its physical welfare. And the conversation I was having with a, a peer of mine, uh, another church member, was this idea of like, how far can that bishop role extend? And so when I was reading this section, it really made me ponder those thoughts, especially when you're a queer youth or a queer young adult or even just a queer adult who goes to your bishop trying to seek answers to what level should a bishop attempt to answer questions for you when their knowledge is not a professional one or very limited to just the scriptural knowledge, which sometimes it's also limited just to their interpretation of it, which depending on their biases can direct them in either a hurtful direction to a queer youth or individual or a very positive one, you know what I mean? And not just as a queer member, but also other psychological slash big issues that we face as individuals. And it just made me ponder about the roles that bishops serve, what they think they need to serve, and what they're actually doing, and how it's coming across to the different groups that present themselves. So those were a lot of the thoughts that I had in regards to this section, because it's one of the first times that it really made me evaluate the role a bishop should have, considering that we are told to go talk to them, to open up to them, to be very like open to them, right? And I know there's already been some discourse around this in regards to like young youth being around bishops and having other adults present and so forth and so on. And so it was a thought. And I'd be curious to hear what your own thinking is on that role of a bishop. And we don't have to go deep into it because I don't think it's anything that we have to go deep into it. I just be curious on what you think that stewardship should look like for a bishop in regards to a queer member of the church. Well, the first thing that kind of popped into my mind while you were speaking is I feel like in order for the the bishop to earn favor with the people that they are ministering to, especially from like the queer experience, is I think that the church should start to require training in these sort of areas of learning about the experiences of queer individuals because there are more and more members. And I'm saying training that is outside of the church. It could be church endorsed or it could be church approved, but it needs to be, I think, outside of the church. So that way it's unbiased when it comes to certain things. And I think they should learn about the trans experience. They should learn about the queer experience, the gay experience. Like I think they need to brush up on their knowledge so that way they have a better understanding of the people that they are supposed to be ministering and looking out for. Because I think if they go in it with the knowledge they already have, we know that it's pretty limited as far as a church sources. Like they used to have this whole big website to it. And now it's just a section within the website. And it's been very, I want to say, quote unquote, Mormon washed to make it more palatable to the membership as a whole. But I really think that if they start focusing on on training, like a lot of different corporations do, where they do like inclusivity and diversity training, I think something needs to be implemented in the church in a similar fashion. So that way they can really serve as well as they are being called to do. It, it's one thing to just pray and fast and rely on the Lord. Like that's that's all fine and dandy. But if you don't have the knowledge that is available to everyone, you're going to go at it already letting the people that you're ministering down. So I think that's my thoughts on that is they can extend their reach 
much further if they can understand or start to understand the experiences of the people that they're supposed to be protecting. That's actually one of the thoughts that my friend had, the one that I was talking with. She expressed that sentiment of that it would be nice if the leadership was being trained by not necessarily like the stake high council is great, but they don't usually have all that training on leadership or race or gender or orientation knowledge, right? So it's like the blind leading the blind a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it'd be nice to have, kind of like you said, organizations to do where they outsource to individuals who do have that knowledge. But sometimes we get so set on our ways about distinguishing between the spiritual and the secular that we don't seek out those resources, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think it's something that we, we should do because what I love about the church is a lot of the members do the ministering, like Joe Schmo off the street. And I I keep using Joe Schmo's name. And again, I apologize if your name's Joe Schmo out there, but he gets <laughs> called as a bishop and he has absolutely no experience on being this kind of person. And it's a lovely thing. We don't have like set people that are paid to do it. And it's set positions like these are everyday people filling these positions of ministering. I love that about the church, but at the same time, they also aren't exposed or educated on how to kind of lead certain organizations or how to deal with sort of kind of crises or conflicts or things that really there's people that have been trained years for in order to do it successfully. And sometimes they're going at it with just fasting and praying and following the spirit could cause harm if they don't go about certain experiences in the right way. And that's very true. But that we'll leave it at there. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. But that's kind of like what that verse that those scriptures like helped me just orient my thinking towards my own feelings and thoughts. I've had incredible bishops and stake presidents, but I know that hasn't been the experience for everyone. It's been interesting. Yeah. And it's also kind of a nice segue into the last scripture that I found that really jumped out at me because us as queer people of faith, we've spent our whole lives, like I said at the beginning, just one, trying to figure out why we felt different and then figuring out how to either cover it up or suppress it, and then figuring out how to live outwardly and authentically, and then figuring out how to then find harmony between our authentic self and our spiritual self. And then once we found that harmony, it almost seems like we then have to catch everyone else up to our experiences, especially if they aren't of the queer experience. And we have to constantly explain how we live our life and our experiences in the world. And it just gets super tiresome and it gets super draining. And it feels like, is this even worth it? And the scripture that jumped out at me that makes it me feel like it is worth it and just keep pressing forward is Doctrine and Covenant 75 verse 5. And it says, and thus, if ye are faithful, ye shall be laden with many sheaves and crowned with honor and glory and immortality and eternal life. And I said, as a queer person of faith, it sometimes feels I will never gain favor with those who oppose my existence. I must remind myself it's God's favor I seek. And once that is gained through patience and faith, he has promised I will be crowned with honor and glory and immortality and eternal life. So what I got out of it was it's it's going to be tough, but we've already done a majority of the battle. And that was accepting who we are. And that was accepting that we want to find harmony between our authentic and our spiritual self. That was a battle in itself. And the next things that come at us, we're fully prepared to deal with it because we've gone over... I think the highest part of the hill of accepting ourselves. And now it's really just making sure that we stay as a full person. And whenever we feel like we can't go on, we need to remember that Christ and Heavenly Father are in our corners cheering us on. And they're saying that there's so much 
waiting for us on the other side that we just need to keep press forward. And we might not know what those rewards will be, but they'll be worth it. And we've gone through so much already. We need to just continue pressing forward and obtain what's waiting for us. Yeah, it's like always keep pushing forward. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. (laughs) And I think with that, it's time to take a short break. And welcome back from the break. You're listening to Love is Spoken Queer. And Renee and I have just finished discussing Doctrine and Covenants, chapters 71 through 75, through the queer perspective of favor. So, Renee, based on our discussions today and based on your recent experiences of traveling the world, (laughs) what do you feel called to do? I'm called to rest and sleep because I need to catch up. (laughs) No, uh, but in addition to that, it's just growing understanding. Like, you know what I mean? And trying to help others understand that they're not falling out of favor with God. Really, like, you are loved so, so freaking much. Especially this Pride Month is your moment to shine. No one else's. Wherever you are in the process of it all. So I'm called to continue to appreciate my own journey in it all. To enjoy the company of the boy that I have in my life. And to refocus now that I'm back. Because I really need to. Traveling is beautiful and wonderful. But it feels nice to be back as well. How about yourself, Dustin? What are you called to do? I feel called to carry on in the confidence that I have as an individual, because what I was thinking about while I was preparing this episode, while also preparing for my talk and also preparing for my uh, elders quorum lesson this, this past weekend, I kept wondering, am I making this too queer focused? Like, am I making this to my experience? Like, should I dial it back? Like, I've never had this much like queerness in in a in a sacrament talk. And I'm like, am I going to get in trouble? Or are they going to cut my mic? Like all these things were kind of running through my head. And I'm like, no, no, this is this is my experience. The topic they gave me, this is completely relevant what I'm talking about. And I went up there and I shared it. And I got a lot of people expressing thanks for me sharing my experience because they had a son who was in a similar experience. So they had a nephew who was in a similar experience, or they knew people who knew people who were in a similar experience. And so I just want to continue reminding myself that I'm not gaining anybody's favor on earth. That's not what I should be doing this for. I shouldn't be sharing my experiences to get the accolades of people on earth. I should be doing it because I feel like God has put me here. This as my mission because I didn't serve a traditional mission. So I feel like this is my time to kind of serve people who are in similar experiences of me. And hopefully those people that were at there on Sunday are now new listeners because a lot of people asked what the title of the podcast was because I forgot to mention it from the pulpit. The one thing I forgot to mention was the title of this podcast, but I half of the talk was on the podcast. So that's what I feel called to do is to continue uh-huh. to share my experiences with confidence and realize that I feel like I've gained favor with God by doing this and to remember to share the name of the podcast as well. <laughs> yes, please remember to share the name of the podcast. That goes to everybody who listens. Share away. Yes. And listeners, if you'd like to share your experiences of how you found favored with yourself or how you found favor with God or how you're trying to find favor with yourself and God, feel free to send it into loveispokenqueer at gmail.com or you can send us a direct message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And before we go, Renee, it's been a while since you've done this. Is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners out there to take with them throughout the rest of the week? 
the only thing I like to say is that we love you. I've missed you. It feels great to be back. And I look forward to being part of this with this journey with y'all and to share more about my life and to hopefully hear more about yours. And that hopefully this podcast is uh, impacting you in any way possible. So yes. those are my only words. Uh, thank you. And the last thing we have to do is thank our listeners for listening. And remember to always be true to you. And love one another. Oh. Until next time. Bye. Bye. You've just listened to another episode of Love is Spoken Queer. If you want to join in on the conversation, feel free to send us an email at our Gmail account, which is lovespokenqueer at gmail.com, or send us a direct message on our social channels. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you really love our episodes and our show, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That is the fastest way for us to share our words with everyone out there. So again, thank you for listening.